0: morning Morning. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 through 11 finally my sisters and brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, we are continuing a series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, and uh, remember the context here. Paul is in a Roman jail. He's facing execution, but over and over he keeps talking about joy. In fact, the main theme of this letter is joy. So it's time for us to ask the question, what is joy? Well, let me tell you a story. There once was a little boy named Jack. And one day, one summer day, he was standing next to a flowering bush in a garden, and it reminded him of another time when his older brother brought a toy garden to him that was made out of a cookie tin filled with moss. And and when he remembered that, all of a sudden, his heart was filled with a desire that was um, almost sickening in its intensity. But it wasn't a desire for a toy garden or for some moment in his past He wasn't even sure what it was for, but by the time he even realized that it was happening, the desire had vanished, and all he was left with was a desire for the desire. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Where, like, without warning, you're caught off guard by a heart-piercing desire for something, and you're not even sure exactly what it is, but by the time you're even aware that it's even happening— the moment has passed and all you're left with is a desire for the desire? It could happen in different ways. Maybe it's a sunset at the end of summer. Maybe it's the sight of a lonely hill across a river. Maybe it's a moment in a song or a book or a story or a movie. But whatever it is, it it wakes up a desire inside of you, and you just long for more of that. What is that experience? That little boy was actually C.S. Lewis, and he calls it joy and describes it like this. He says, joy is an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Joy is an unsatisfied desire more desirable than any other satisfaction. Here's the big question. What is our desire for? Well, in another essay called The Weight of Glory, he said this, He said, the sense that in this universe, we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response. This is part of our inconsolable secret. Do you have an inconsolable secret? He says, our deep desire means acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. It means the door on which we have been knocking, all our lives will open at last. Have you ever experienced a desire to be welcomed into the heart of things? Our deepest desire as human beings, and therefore the the most haunting question of our lives is, am I seen? Am I known? Am I welcomed? Am I loved? Joy is when we get a taste of our desire to be seen and loved. It's so elusive, it breaks our hearts, and yet there's nothing we want more how do we find that joy? In this passage, Paul shows us three things about this joy. He shows us what joy isn't, what joy is, and last, how we can find joy. What it's not, what it is, and how we can find it, okay? First, Paul shows us what joy isn't. This passage is the first place in the letter where Paul actually calls the Philippians themselves to rejoice. He says, finally, my sisters and brothers, you rejoice in the Lord. But no sooner has he said that than he warns them about the greatest threat to their joy. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Strong language. Here's what's going on. In the early church, there were some people who believed that uh, the only way that non-Jewish converts could be fully accepted by God was if they got circumcised and obeyed everything else in Jewish law. Paul is saying that is the most spiritually dangerous thing we could possibly do. Why? In verse 9, he says, it's having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Now, that word righteousness, righteousness is a good thing, okay? Righteousness simply means uh, that you're in right relationship with God, with yourself, with other people. Think about our desire to be seen and loved. The ultimate experience of that is to be seen and loved by God. That's righteousness. If you have that, you have righteousness. Righteousness simply means um, right relationship. But Paul is saying the problem is uh, we want to have a righteousness that of, of our own that comes from the law. So what does that mean? Well, in order to explain, Paul tells his own story. He goes through a whole list of things. It's a little small. But here's here's what he says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Now, we don't have time to go through all of these things, but let me just give you the Cliff Notes version. The first four things where he says, I was circumcised, uh, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, all of those things in his culture were like external status symbols. These were things that would have impressed people and opened doors of opportunity for him in his culture. Um, but the next three things, uh, he says that he was a Pharisee, he, uh, he had zeal, and that he was also blameless in righteousness. Those things were expressions of religious and ethical virtue. So, the first four things were um, external status symbols, and the the next three things were internal virtues. External status symbols, internal virtues. Paul's list has all of those things. In fact, let me try to put this in modern terms for us. David Brooks is a best-selling author. In one of his books, he talks about the difference between what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are um, all the external status symbols that we use to impress people and open doors of opportunity for ourselves. So it's all about our skills, our accomplishments, our achievements. It's how we present ourselves to the world, our clothing, our cars, our GPA, our degrees, our titles, our careers, our, um, our uh, fancy uh, whatever. It's, um, it's how much money we make. It's our PR in that 10K last week. It's that blue check next to our profile on social media. It's resume virtues. But then, you know, of course, we all realize that those are superficial things. You know, we still get sucked into it, but we do know at some level that life is about more than just those things. And so David Brooks also talks about what he calls eulogy virtues. Eulogy virtues are like when you die and people talk about you at your funeral, they're not going to talk about how much money you made or, um, or your GPA. They're going to talk about, were you kind? Were you caring? Were you loving? Did you serve others? Did you give your life to something meaningful in this world? Eulogy virtues. Or we could say it like this, resume virtues are about being an impressive person. Eulogy virtues are about being a good person an impressive person and a good person. Friends, Paul has all of these things on his list. In his culture, he had resume virtues out the wazoo, but he also had the the eulogy virtues. And yet, he's saying that none of those things can help us find the joy we're really looking for. Why It's not because any of these things are bad. The problem is that we use these things as a way of having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. What that means is that we will take all our virtues, all our accomplishments, we'll take them all, and then we'll present them to God and say, look, God, I'm a good person. Here are my credentials. Here are my virtues. Now, you love me and accept me on the basis of my righteousness. It's a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. The problem with that is that it's a way of keeping control over our lives and especially a way of getting control over God so that we'll say, look, God, I've been a good person. I've done my part. Now you do your part because you owe me. And one of the ways we can tell that we're doing that is when life doesn't go the way we want it to go, we'll get enraged or bitter or resentful or self-pitying or crushed in despair and here's the challenge on the one hand you know there's got to be something in our lives that we can point to and say look this is how i know that i'm seen and loved this is how i know that that my life has worth value and meaning we need some kind of a righteousness and yet on the other hand if that righteousness is something about ourselves then when we do well when we perform well and succeed then we're going to feel prideful and superior to others and we're also going to be anxious because we can never take our foot off the gas. But on the other hand, if we fail, if we don't live up to expectations, whether our parents or our peers or even just ourselves, if if we fail to be as impressive as we want to be or as virtuous as we ought to be, then we beat ourselves up. We get discouraged. We get crushed. But either way, don't you see, there's no joy. Paul is saying that we will never find the joy we're really seeking if we're trying to do it by having a righteousness of our own that comes from being an impressive person or a virtuous person, and that leads to our next point. Paul has just showed us what joy isn't. It's not a righteousness of our own, but secondly, he shows us what joy is. One of the fascinating things about this passage is that it's a window into Paul's own personal story of conversion, Remember, he's talking about all of his virtues, all of his accomplishments, but then he turns around and he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, all those things, and I count them as rubbish. Paul is looking at all his virtues and accomplishments, and he says, it's a loss. And not just a loss, he calls them rubbish. Now, that's a pretty good translation of that word, but it's also very polite. Uh, The Greek word is skoubalon, And the only reason I'm telling you that is because it's just kind of a fun word to say. Scubalon. Scubalon means garbage that you would throw to the dogs. But it also means feces, excrement, or dung. Paul is essentially saying, all those things that I used to put my identity in, it's a bunch of crap. Now, why would he say that? Well, it's not because there's nothing good about all of those things. We just said, look, there's nothing wrong with having a great GPA. There's nothing wrong with making money, even lots of money, and there's certainly nothing wrong with being a virtuous person. In fact, we should be virtuous people. Paul is not saying there's anything wrong with those things. What is he saying? Here's what's going on. Paul is making a comparison here. He's saying that as wonderful as all those things are, there's something else, one other thing that is so much infinitely more wonderful that in, comparison to all those, that in comparison to it, all those other things are like garbage. What is that one thing? Notice how Paul puts it here. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There is one thing that is so wondrous, so incandescent, so wonderful, Transcendent, so heartbreakingly beautiful that in comparison to it, everything else in this universe is like nothing. And that one thing is knowing Jesus. When the Bible talks about knowledge, many of you know this, it's not just talking about intellectual knowledge. The word knowledge in the Bible is a word that means intimate relationship. Paul is not talking about the surpassing worth of knowing stuff about Jesus but knowing Jesus himself. Friends, this is the thing we're looking for in all the other things. This is the thing, all the things that, that give us that taste of joy, all the things that wake up that desire inside of us. It's not the things themselves we're looking for, it's Jesus. Every sunset that stirs our heart, it's Jesus stirring us. Every um, song or story that beckons us into another world, it's Jesus beckoning us. Every career or cause that calls us to give our lives to something beyond ourselves, it's really Jesus calling us. And every set of arms we fall into, it's really the arms of Jesus we're looking for. Everything we're looking for is in Jesus. Real joy is knowing Jesus. In fact, I love how beautifully Paul puts this. He goes on to say this, he says, I want to know Jesus and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Real joy, he says, real intimacy, real knowledge of Jesus is being found in Him. What does that mean? It means that when you become a Christian, now all of a sudden, when God looks at you, He doesn't see you, He sees Jesus. It used to be that we would gather up all our virtues, all of our accomplishments, and we'd bring them to God and say, hey, God, look, here are my credentials. Now, you love me and accept me because of my righteousness. You know what that is? We're trying to be found in ourselves with a righteousness of our own. But when you give up control over your life and trust in Jesus, now all of a sudden you're found in him with his righteousness so that when God sees you, he really sees Jesus. Let me um, give you an illustration of this by telling you another story. George MacDonald was a famous writer in the 1800s, and I love this picture of him because as old as it is, it looks like he could be mixing cocktails at a bar somewhere in Brooklyn. But... (laughs) Before there was Lord of the Rings, before there was Harry Potter, there was George MacDonald. George MacDonald's the guy that influenced all the other greatest fantasy writers. He once wrote a a fairy tale for adults called Fantasties or Fantasties. I don't know anybody that knows exactly how to pronounce it. But it's a a fairy tale about a guy named Anados who ends up in an alternate world. And the whole time he's there, he sees himself as a hero. He thinks of himself as a knight in shining armor, and he's going to go out and do great deeds. But instead, he acts selfishly and self-centeredly. At one point, he meets a little girl who has a magical singing globe. But when he tries to pilfer the globe from her, he breaks it, and he also breaks her heart in the process, and she goes running off into the woods, sobbing over her loss. And Anidos, as soon as that happens, he looks down and he sees his shadow there. And every time he does something selfish and self-centered, his shadow is always there. And so the whole time he's in this world, he keeps trying to lose his shadow, and nothing ever works until finally he finds a suit of armor. And he thinks, oh, if I can put on this armor and, and, you know, of a heroic knight, maybe I will actually become that heroic knight I envision myself to be. So he puts on the armor, but lo and behold, his shadow is still there. Friends, that is a picture of what we do. We we dress up in an armor, in the armor of our own righteousness. And yet, no matter how much we dress up, no matter how many virtues we accumulate, our shadow is still there. But when you trust in Christ, when you become a Christian, he takes off your shabby armor, he takes off your righteousness, and he dresses you in his armor, in his righteousness. You're found in him all the deepest desires of our heart to be seen and loved are in Jesus. All the joy that we're really looking for is in Jesus. All the intimacy that we were created for, it's in Jesus. In fact, let me summarize the whole message for you like this. Dear ones, God does not want to be impressed with you. Think about it. He made you. He's already impressed. God does not want to be impressed with you He wants to be intimate with you. God does not need to be impressed with you. He wants to be intimate with you. Do you want this kind of intimacy? Do you want to be seen and loved like this? If you're exploring faith, how do we find this? And even if you are already a Christian, how do we enter more deeply into this experience? That leads to our last point. Paul has showed us what joy isn't. It's not a righteousness of our own. He showed us what joy is. It's knowing Jesus and being found in Him. But lastly, how do we find joy? How do we find it? Remember, Paul has been talking about all his virtues and accomplishments in this passage, but then he, he, he calls them all rubbish. In fact, he keeps saying this over and over again in different ways. He says, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Verse 9, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, every time in each one of these verses he uses this word count, it's a word that means to consider or regard something in a certain way. In other words, one of the first steps in really being able to find the joy we're looking for is that we begin to realize the futility and the insufficiency of all the places we thought the joy was in. Those things used to work for you but now they stop working. Let me give you just one example of this. Lee Stein is a writer. She she wrote an essay um, during the pandemic. The essay is called The Empty Religions of Instagram. Uh, In this essay, she points out that more and more people, especially young people, are basically done with traditional institutional religion. Instead, they're turning to social media to follow people she calls online growth influencers online growth influencers and so uh, she says this she says our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy self-optimization therapy wellness astrology and dolly parton now on the surface this this new belief system she says it's about self-care but in reality here's what she says the whole economy of instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves posting about ourselves working on ourselves And as a result, she says this, she says, because she was following these online growth influencers, but she says this, I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. But our moral leaders, these online growth influencers, aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Questions like, why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? There's a chasm, she says, between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Now, that's just one example, but here's the question. Do you ever feel like all those things you've trusted in, like they're just not working anymore? Do you ever feel like all the things you were hoping would really do it for you, like somehow they're not living up to the expectations and the longings you had for them? And no matter what these things are, do you ever feel like, hmm, I'm still empty? Or as Bono's saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Friends, that's actually a really good place to be because it means you might just be open to something different. You might be open to something different. So what does that mean for us? Where where do we find this? Well, here's what that something different might be. Um, We need to put our trust in Jesus. There's all these things in the world that we're out there looking for, out there putting our hope in, and yet we need to be open to the reality that all the things that we were hoping for in the past, that they're empty. They're not going to fulfill us like we thought they would. We need to be open to something different. So here's where we go friends um, notice how paul puts this in this passage he says that um, that he considers everything a loss compared to this passing worth of knowing christ jesus that that's what he's been looking for all of these years and so what does that mean for us well i want to suggest that there are lots of things that can give it to us you know The world is full of of options, and you're welcome to explore those things, but there is only one of those things, only one thing that let go of of everything that's infinitely valuable in order to grab hold of you, because here's the challenge. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I recognize that all the things that I was trusting in, they're empty, they're meaningless, they're not really going to do it for me, but the only way we will let go of those things is if we have something else to grab hold of, We can only count those things as rubbish uh, if we have something that's infinitely more valuable than those things. Where do we find that? Like I said, our world is full of options, and you're welcome to explore them for yourself. But there's only one thing that let go of everything that's infinitely valuable in order to grab hold of you, and that's Jesus. Paul says it like this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The only way that we will ever let go of the empty things is if we see the surpassing worth of Jesus. In other words, we have to see that, that from all eternity, Jesus is the God of the universe who had all the joy because he's the source of all the joy. He had all the glory, beauty, riches, and honor because he's the source of all of those things. Jesus had all of the resume virtues, all of the uh, eulogy virtues, he had them infinitely. And what's more, Jesus was seen, known, and loved perfectly by God the Father. Jesus had perfect, joyful intimacy, knowledge, and love. He had it all. And yet, on the cross, Jesus said, I have considered all those things a loss compared to the surpassing worth of gaining you. For your sake, Jesus says, I have lost all things in order that I might find you, gain you, love you, and make you radiant, beautiful, and glorious in me. Jesus lost God. He lost the very throne of heaven itself so that he could gain you. Dear ones, there is nothing else in this world that will do that for you. Everything else in this world that you give yourself to, it will take more from you, it will demand more and more of you and give you less and less in return. Jesus is the only thing, the only one who lost everything so that he could give it all to you. Friends, everything we're looking for in all of our virtues, and all of our accomplishments, everything we're yearning for is in Jesus. What are you yearning for today? Jesus yearns for you. Jesus yearns to find you and gain you and know you and love you and to wrap you up in his glory and bring you to the Father and say, I found someone, let me show them to you. And then he'll pull aside his robe and there you'll be found in him, hidden in him, seen and loved in him. How does that happen? Friends, The only way that happens, the only thing we need to do is to stop doing all the things we're doing to try to win God's love and simply let God clothe you in his love. How do we do that? Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The only way to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection is we need to become like Jesus in his death. What does that mean? Well, let me go back to that George McDonald story we were talking about a moment ago. At the very end of the story, um, our friend Anodos is still dressed up in his armor. He's still trying to lose his shadow. And he eventually, he meets that little girl again, the, the little girl whose globe he broke. Only he doesn't recognize her because now she's grown up and she's a full-grown woman. But she says to him, you don't recognize me, do you? But you broke my globe. And I thank you, she says because now I have something so much better. That globe used to do all my singing for me, but now I've learned to sing myself. I I used to rely on that globe to bring me joy, now I have a real joy. And she goes off into the forest (laughs) singing. And Anodos is just standing there, heartbroken and crushed in despair and humility. And in his despair and in his shame, he, he, in desperation, he just takes off all the armor he's wearing because he realizes he's not even worthy of it. And he lays it down on the ground where the woman had been standing. And he's heartbroken because when he takes off his armor, he realizes, look, I just lost myself. I wish I'd lost my shadow. But then he looks around, and the shadow's nowhere to be seen. And he says, I did lose myself because all I really lost was my shadow. And while he's standing there thinking about that, he says, another self seemed to arise from the trampled self of the past. Doubtless, this self must again die and be buried. And from its tomb spring a winged child. Self will come to life even in the slaying of self. Self, real self, true self, will come to life even in the slaying of self of self friends becoming like him in his death jesus said if you want to follow me take up your cross everyone who seeks to gain their life will lose it but whoever loses their life whoever loses their self their shadow for my sake will gain their life forever dear ones god does not want to be impressed with you he wants to be intimate with you lay down your armor lay down your righteousness lay down your shadow lay down yourself Let Jesus raise you up in his armor, and his righteousness, so that you can know the joy of being found in him. If you're willing, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this day for your righteousness. We thank you for the righteousness of Jesus. Even though you created us with all glory, all beauty, all perfection, Lord, we rebelled. We wanted to be found in ourselves with a righteousness of our own, and we, re- and we rejected you, we alienated ourselves from you, we're not in right relationship with you. But we thank you that through Jesus, you came to this earth, Lord, and you let go, Lord Jesus, of everything that has infinite value so that you could grab hold of us. Help us, we pray this morning, to see you, Lord Jesus, to see your surpassing worth, that we may let go of, of even the most wonderful things, that we may let go of it all in order that we may grab hold of you, for you grabbed hold of us. Lord, Show us your surpassing worth this day and and give us the joy that we were created for because we're found in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.